Hi, I'm Lise Wheel, and this is Pursuit of Justice. So, guys, imagine this picture. I am sitting here in the studio here in New York with Julio Briones, very nice, dapper-looking guy. He's all dressed up in a suit, green, green shirt. Hi, Julio. Hey, how's it going, Lise? Great to be with you here. And on the phone with me is another former prosecutor. Actually, he was the prosecutor of Morris County, New Jersey, Bob Bianchi. He's my colleague here and dear friend at Law and Crime. Hi, Bob, here on the phone. Hey, Lisa, how you doing? I'm doing great. Um, so, Julio, you are surrounded here by two prosecutors, uh, former prosecutors, doing this podcast, Pursuit of Justice. And you, I mean, got to tell the story. You committed a crime. I mean, and this crime was a felony, and it got you 39 years in prisoner in prison. So how did you get on a podcast with two former prosecutors sitting here today. Tell us your story. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. Very and, welcome. You know, the, it, it all started really right after I got out of the Army. Uh, I was feeling a little bit lost in life, just kind of directionless, you know, trying to figure out what I was going to end up doing. And um, <clears throat> I ultimately decided to open up a clothing store. I was doing well, trying to just trying to figure out where I fit in in the world after my time in service. Right. So time goes on, not going to get into all the details of all of that, but I went to hang out with some friends. And my one friend brought along some friends that I did not know. And it was probably the worst decision of my life because about a week later, I'm sitting in the Bergen County Prosecutor's Office being uh, read my rights and being told I'm being charged with multiple counts, total of seven of carjacking, armed robbery, and weapons possessions. Wow. Yeah, and, um, you know, didn't know the system, went into the county jail. My family found an attorney. I ultimately posted bail. And, you know, to make a long story short, my attorney didn't even show up for most of my status conferences. You know, paid him a lot of money, didn't show up. For, didn't really show up for my trial. Didn't and show up for your trial? No, he actually sent an associate of the firm that had only passed the bar exam about a year and a half before. And that's who I ended up getting represented by. Even though the victims of the crime at my trial said that I'm not the guy that robbed them, I ended up getting convicted and sentenced to 39 years. Very scary. Needless to say, right? Even yeah. though the victim says you weren't the guy, even though uh, I was, uh, the jury was given the accomplice liability instructions. Oh, accomplice liability, of course, which and means even if you weren't the actual person, you were there I'm with the other, right. with your so-called friends. Bad yes. choice. Terrible choice. Right. And I end up with 39 years. They end up with probation, five years and seven years. So there's this <gasps> huge disparity. Whoa! Wait, yes. wait. Say that again. You <laughs> yeah. end up pro with. 39, 39 years, years under the no right under the no early release act at that right. so i was going to have to do uh, i believe it was going to come out to like 29 and a half years oh. before my first parole eligibility so uh, here i am i'm sitting it's i've been convicted i've i'm sitting in the jail getting ready to go to prison right i was actually still in my suit from my trial when i get into my first physical altercation in prison that's 
it's how in prison well in the jail in waiting jail, to go right. to prison because somebody who was there from prison for a motion decided they wanted my shoes <laughs> now i'm sitting here in front of you i'm not a small man no. all right and at the time i was a much larger man because i was really into working out and everything else so it just didn't end well for anybody so moving on i had to figure all of this out figure out where what my role was how to survive how to make it through prison and your lawyer obviously was of no help no help um i ended up hiring a different attorney for an appeal uh, i mean you guys know attorneys are expensive mm -hmm. especially when you're dealing with such a complicated case and my very first attorney didn't include things in the appeal which kind of tied my hands for the PCR and tied my hands for moving forward. So ultimately, I actually went to the law library and there was this guy in there. Um, yeah, everybody called him Chino. Uh, uh, he, I actually knew him from my neighborhood. He had been in prison at that point for about 15, 16 years. And he asked me this very simple question that really helped me focus how I was gonna learn the law in order to help myself get out. Okay. And he said, ask yourself, in the end, do you wanna be right or do you wanna go home? Oh. So I sat and I thought about it and I actually mulled over this terrible decision because he explained I really only had one shot to try to correct this and I decided going home was the best option. And I focused an attack legally on my sentence, on the aggravating mitigating factors, and just time went in. And it was surprisingly on my birthday in 2007, I got the letter from the appellate court where my sentence was reduced to 12 years with 85%. And I ended up serving a total of 10 years and two months. And you're telling me that was your work that did it? The, at the very last of it was. The, uh, the first part of it where it was combined, my sentences were combined from 39 down to 25 with an 85, was one of, was the attorney that I had said right, I hired right. to do the appeal. Uh, after that, it was my work, and then I ended up putting in a motion for a public defender just as a mouthpiece, but all the paperwork was right. done. Your hard work. Right. So you just, you, you studied the law. Oh, well, I became an actual certified paralegal. They, ah. they give the class in prison. Uh, it's done by the New Jersey Attorney General's office. And essentially, you get taught the same set of skills that like a first year law student would have. How to analyze cases, how to shepherdize, how, you know, just shepherdize. everything that, that you need to to be able to mount a defense. Right, 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 you know, right. Um, I actually got pretty good at the administrative, New Jersey administrative code, and I would defend guys coming up that were facing disciplinary action. So you were learning about the law, the intricacies of the law while mm -hmm. in prison. Yes. And doing something for yourself and others, to move yes. to move your mm -hmm. life forward. Correct. And what else how else were you learning? I uh, Bob mentioned something about the jail code. Explain that well, what, what that means. Living in jail and prison, uh, it's 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 its own society. It's not like living in real life, okay? First thing that people have to understand when they do walk into the system is no matter how open-minded, no matter how liberal you may be in this world, 
jail and prison is the most racially segregated environment you will ever walk into. As a light-skinned Hispanic male, I had an extra set of complications because I had to show respect to my own race, go and say and associate with the Hispanics. Because I was lighter skinned than most, uh, I also had to show respect to the white guys in the prison. Otherwise, you become categorized as what's called food, meaning that you will be eaten by the population. All right, and it's it's an extreme mentality, Whoa. but this is what it is. Eaten by the population? Yes, and that can, in some instances, be taken almost literally. You know, like you, you become a target for rape, for violence, for extortion, depending on how you conduct yourself and how you move on through the system. And one of the greatest countermeasures to that and it's one of the things that um, you know, I've, I tell my clients and I've sat in with Bob to explain to his clients that make yourself useful. Use your skills, use your talents, make yourself above that level. Basic rules, you know, don't snitch, yeah, right. don't, you know, if you see something, you don't say something. It's, it's, it's just contrary to every societal norm that you can imagine. If you have enough money to survive, to, through commissary, through, through whatever means, keep it to yourself. Try to be discreet. And again, figure out a way to become useful to the largest number of people possible so that just your reputation and your ability and your skill set keeps you safe. How did you know this going in? I didn't. I, I'm, like I said, initially going in, I'm a large man. I, I was in the military. I've been boxing since I was about so five. So that helped. That did not help. That did not hurt. Right. <laughs> you know, the... Um, People would just leave you alone because of that. Well, generally, yeah. Usually you only have to get into one or two physical altercations, and then you're pretty much left alone after that. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's an interesting environment. So you were learning the jail code. Yes. While in there. Mm -hmm. um, what other uh, what other lessons were you learning that you're t that you're taking that you took out from from jail? Well, the the biggest set of lessons that I came to understand myself is you have to be grateful. You really truly have to understand that no matter how horrible, how awful a situation may be, and as, as I said, in, in prison it's a different environment. I've been physically assaulted. I've been stabbed. I've been, you know, threatened with just levels of harm that you wouldn't wish on somebody you hate, okay? And all of this prepared me for my life. As odd as that sounds, that I have a level of gratitude for everything. I, my wife now, well, today she's my wife, you know, she stuck with me through that. I have, you know, thankfully her her daughter is my stepdaughter. I look at her as my own. You know, there's to me there's no difference. I have my son who just turned two. I would not have had these things in my life today had I not gone through the horrible situation that I did then. Okay, now st full stop on that. Yes. Explain to me that why why not? You would have had ten years back. Ten, you would not have. You I would have lost not. ten. You, you would. You would have not lost ten years in prison. You would have had all those things faster. Not necessarily. I would not have had the same appreciation and the same understanding that I do now, 
to be able to give them the life that I'm able to today, you know, in, in that time, I was focused on me before going to prison. It, my life was about me. I was very, very selfish, very self-centered. Uh, I, by no means was I an angel out in the real world. You know, uh, it's not, not that I was some hardened criminal, because as I said, I've never gotten so much as a speeding ticket before this, but I was no saint, okay? I'm never going to be the guy that's going to sit here and say, oh, I was innocent of this crime, because I wasn't. You know, there are aspects to it that I do admit guilt. I shouldn't have been there. I should have you called the cops. You were with the people. Exactly. You did, the, these I, things did happen. I was happen. there. They right. did happen. Right. You know, I'm not claiming innocence. I do believe I was overcharged and ex uh, sentenced to an extreme level, mm -hmm. but that's a different issue. You know, um, it's not still not the same as being innocent. Right. Okay. And... You know, because of all of these things, because of going through there, because of having that time and understanding and really getting to know myself and getting to know what really is important in life, I have a different perspective. And we all know life is really about perspective. Okay. The, now, the big question that everybody has is, is got in their minds, and he has been so quiet there on the phone, <laughs> is how, how in the heck did you meet... Bob, Mr. Morris County Prosecutor. I mean, we see that you're grateful and you've got gratitude and you've got this beautiful wife now and, and two children, and that's all wonderful. And you've got your own business now that we're going to talk about as well. But how did you have the best thing in your life happen to you, which is meet, to meet my wonderful colleague, Bob Bianchi? How did that happen? Well, Bob, and you could you could pipe up any moment here. How did this all happen between the two of you? We do is offer mercy and compassion and use the criminal justice system as a way of uh, trying to better people's lives. And um, and I really try to emphasize that with the staff that you need to take your time to know the difference between those two things. Because I had felt many prosecutors were only one speed only, and I would use this uh, analogy least. They were just out there hitting flies with sledgehammers on every single case, and not every single case warranted that, so I felt there was a lot of unjust results. So I, I, I left that job that I loved and worked for my entire life to get, um, and I felt rather deflated. Um, I, I had to start a new career again. Um, you know, it's, it, the love of my life professionally was over, and I was wondering to myself, where am I going to be able to have that passion for another part of my career like I did when I was prosecutor. And then I got a communication from Julio and I'll let him take it from here. Okay. Well, while in while in prison, right. one of the things that I focused on was trying to figure out, especially after I got my appeal decision, what am I gonna do next? Mm -hmm. So I, I started focusing on figuring out what the needs were of the people that were in there with me. Mm -hmm. Beyond, knowing what the prison system is going to be like. How were their families adapting? How was my own family adapting to this? All I've seen relationships break up. I've seen just all sorts of bad happen to people. Of course. And, you know, I, I started plotting. It was around 2007, 2008. I started shifting my focus and my free time at this point, working in the law library, staying, reading, studying, trying to figure out how I can best give back when my time came to reenter society. So in 2015, my company, Answer Man Specialty Services, was born. Okay, and it's I, I'm a personal crisis manager, and I help people and their families through these and some other uh, issues in their life. 
and help them go into the system and come back out as well. So when in the early stages, I took my past experience in sales and marketing and everything else, and I actually went through LinkedIn and I just started collecting email addresses. I sent out hundreds of emails and Bob was the first one to agree to a meeting with me. Bob and Dave, uh, Bob's partner there right. in, in the firm, they agreed to sit down with me and we talked about what I do and how I help people and you know, and from there it's history. It's so so you didn't know Bob from your your uh the crime or anything Nothing. like that or this was just it's wow kismet, yes just really truly a chance well, I'll, tell you, I, I, I'll interrupt this real quick here at least you know <clears throat> one of the things that's always bothered me about the criminal justice system is that people are for the most part served their time they've served their sentence they've paid their debt to society yet there's what we call collateral consequences right. that sometimes are worse than the sentence itself and they get out and they have a criminal conviction, and no one wants to take a chance on them. No one wants, to, and some of these people have great skills and are good people who did maybe an otherwise bad thing on a singular night, like Julio. And um, and so the fact that he had the tenacity, if you will, to reach out to a former prosecutor, a newly former prosecutor, um, and the fact that he took his experiences in the jail and converted them to something that could have a positive impact on other people immediately caught my attention. I'm like, I got to meet this guy because we all make mistakes. We all have problems. We all feel that we're in the abyss sometimes, in the pit, uh, in the place that we can't get out of or that we're, we, most of the time we're our own worst self-accusers. And so we sabotage our own success and resiliency. So I was just immediately, that's my mindset. That's how I am as a person uh, in terms of navigating the difficulties of life. And so seeing Julio and what he had done, how could I not meet the guy? I'm like, this is an impressive personality to me. And and Julio, I note on your business card that you have become a certified professional facilitator and a certified group life coach. I mean, you've gone out and gotten yourself oh, certifications. And there's one missing on there. I'm also a certified uh, entrepreneurship and small business uh, consultant and coach. I mean, so you've gone yeah. out and done, all, you know, gotten all the qualifications that you need to actually mm -hmm. do this, mm -hmm. and um, I, yeah, and, and so so Bob, Bob opened your his doors, and I, that's how you two met. I mean, this is so impressive, and what was it? Has it been successful so far? I mean, it must have been. You, this is 2015 that you started. Now yes. we're in uh, July, end of July 2018. Well, it's actually been almost three years to the day because I officially opened my company on June 20th of 2015. Uh, it's it's been an uphill battle. Of course, you know, right. Um, this is a new model. This takes the standard prison consultant, takes it to a different level. I'm not focused on helping you reduce your sentence. I'm not helping you get over. I'm trying to keep your family together. I'm trying to keep your business together. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to keep you together. And I'm trying to help you develop a plan to come out of the system and have a successful life. It, it's very possible. You know, I, I've mm -hmm. been out less than five years. I, I've had a, a pretty high level corporate job where I've done a creation of training programs for entrepreneurs under a franchise system. Uh, relatively new franchise system that went from zero to almost $30 million in the three years that I've been working there. 
you know, I run this business. I have my family. It, it's all possible for anyone. It's not, it's all a matter of whether or not you want to prepare yourself. And this is the way I, I try to promote myself mm -hmm. is this is a new approach to really an ages old problem. You know, re-entry, pre-entry, right. all of this is, it's such a burden. It must be. <clears throat> I mean, I'm just thinking re-entry because once you have that felony conviction, once you have that felony conviction, it must be, I mean, I'm just, I'm stereotypically anyway, it must be so hard it because is. you've got to, at any application, you've got to have that, you've got it's, to put mm. that down and it must be so hard in any job market. I mean, right? Yes. Right, Julio? Right, Bob? To, to get that entry, to get that job. I mean, Bob, Bob opened his doors, but I would assume that Bob most is people rare. Don't. Yeah, most people don't open their doors. I mean, I got to tell you, just on, on an off note here, Bob to me is like a saint. Okay? Oh, a saint, he's Bob. Be, I don't know about that. He's saint got to be the greatest <laughs> human being I've met since coming oh boy. out of prison. All right. You know, not, not just because we're on the show here. Like, I, I really genuinely have high, high regard for Bob. And he's, he does give people a chance. When they come in, he's had people, you know, given them opportunities to help them out. Most people don't. And I think one, mm -hmm. one of the biggest things, without politicizing any of it, one of the biggest mistakes I think we have is that we're pushing higher education to guys in the prison system when we really should be pur pushing vocational training. That you can have a lucrative career being a carpenter, a plumber, an IT tech, a networking, wiring guy, an electrician, very good paying, solid, respectable careers. Right. But we're pushing in the prison system, go to college. Guys that don't have a GED, that have no desire, they're pushing college to them. So you're setting them up for failure. That's my opinion. There are some guys that need that, that are ready for the college and the career. Not ninety percent of them, probably not. You know, so this is one of the things that I think would help. Uh, I sit on a labor committee for reentry for in the state of New Jersey for Middlesex County, and this is one of the things that we've actually discussed regularly. How many people on that board for reentry are convicted felons like yourself who've come out um, who actually experience the system? I think I think if I'm not mistaken, about four or five of them that I know of. For a fact. Okay, so that's good. Yeah. So that people who actually have been in the system who could yeah. talk about actually being yeah, in many there. years before, but for the most part, I think I'm the one that's most proactive and with most recent release. Right, right. You know, Bob, yeah. so um, so tell me your feelings about uh, opening your doors to Julio, and you know, I mean, that's good for you. I mean, I would come on. You're not in the saint category for me, yeah. Bob. You know, I'm having known you. But, uh, you know, okay, you're a pretty good guy. Uh, I didn't say he's flawless. Yeah, I just please. said he's a saint. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you use the term because my faith informs my actions. Yeah. And I, I have always, uh, before every sentencing uh, day when I was prosecutor, I especially prayed in church before the sentencing day that we got it right, that we were being just, that we were being measured, uh, that the humility of understanding the power that you have over other people's lives, and are you exercising it as best as you can with your human frailties correctly? Um, and my faith also informs me that um, you you can, as, as I would tell my staff, 
which happened often, at least you know this yourself as a former prosecutor, uh, they would have words, they would call the defendant's names, like, you know, uh, I won't mention them. Uh, but uh, that immediately ceased the first two days I was in office because I said, once you begin to objectify a human being, bad things happen. Now, our job is to judge their conduct for sure to make sure the community is safe. But rehabilitation, justice, mercy, compassion, understanding are just as essential ingredients for justice as is punishment. And our system of justice, Lisa, I think has gone, my dad's 85 years old, still practicing attorney, have gone from a place of trying to go through those sticky issues of what is justice, what's, what's measured justice, as opposed to today where it's, everything is mandatory sentencing, NERA, no early release act, as Julio said. Uh, every law now has somebody's name attached to it because a politician wants to be seen tough on crime. Despite the horror of what is happening to some people, those flies getting hit with sledgehammers, uh, so, uh, you know, my faith informs me that uh, Julio paid his price. People that have gotten out there and that are trying to better their lives and are trying to reach out under very, very difficult circumstances should be given the mercy and compassion of understanding, you've done your time, what can I do to help you? Uh, and as a prosecutor, I always look at it that way. What can I do that way to help my victims of, of serious crimes? And if that meant go to jail for the rest of your life, in some cases it did, fine. But it also meant to try to help people. Because, least I always used to say this to my staff, too, and I'll end with this. On our deathbeds, when we are answering for uh, – I love that Charles Krauthammer – quote, I, I live my life as I intended. Uh, that was really powerful to me. But on the deathbed, are you going to be saying, did my life make a difference to other people because I got 10,000 years of state prison for people? Or did my life make a difference because for those people who needed to go in, I, I brought justice to victims for those people that otherwise could have been rehabilitated and could have led successful lives and had rippling effects upon the positive aspects like Julio's little two-year-old uh, baby. Uh, that would never have happened if Julio was still serving a 39-year sentence. So uh, to me, I believe I'm going to be looking at the people I helped as a prosecutor that did the right thing afterwards, paid the price for their mistake, and gave a, a handout to them to help them after they paid their society's debt. So I think that's really, really important. And I think, Lisa, it's the number one thing in the criminal justice system we have lost sight of. And I love Julio's story, my last point, uh, because, you know, Lisa, when we're in court, I don't have to tell you, you're a pro. Uh, we negotiate, we plea bargain, we talk about evidence, blah, blah, blah. We go to trial, maybe. We, we sentence a defendant. They put handcuffs on, like Julio said, in his suit. They go out with, into what I call the mist of the, the prison and parole system. We really don't know much about what goes on with their lives after that, because those administrative agencies have tremendous power and very little oversight over their lives. And then they get out on the other end, and there's no safety net for them, and yet society's telling, putting them down, telling them that they're not worthy enough, telling them they can't get a job, telling them that they're going to continue to pay for the mistake that they've already paid their debt for. And then we wonder why we see mental illness, addiction, and reoffense. Yes, well put. Uh, Bob Bianchi, thank you so much, former Morris County prosecutor and my colleague at Law and Crime Network here in New York City. Um, and with me right now, I've got Julio Briones. Uh, 
He is the cheat chair, big chairola of the Answer Man Specialty Services LLC. You just wrote a book? Yes. Uh, okay. I actually recently released a self-help book okay. for people that are going through personal crises. Uh, it's called Redefining Success. And it's it's a one-year, it's a 30-day kickstart for a one-year plan oh. on how to change your your life and your perspective. And where can we find Redefining Success? You can find it on my website. Okay. And you can find it on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Redefining Success by Julio, Bar uh, Julio Briones. Briones. Okay, I love it. Redefining Success. And that's easy. We can all redefine success. Um, but Bob can't because he's a saint. So yes. he's already up there. So <laughs> he doesn't need to redefine anything. But when you come into law and crime, I don't think I'll treat you like a saint, though. I don't think that. I, don't, I, think, I think I have to knock you down a peg or two. But you're all right by all me, right. Bob. You're all right by me. And, and thank you so much for bringing Julio in today. And Julio, thank you for telling and sharing um, your story today on Pursuit of Justice with, with me. I, I really appreciate it. And with all, with all of our listeners, it's so interesting to hear from, you know, such a, a different perspective. And, um, and now we know how Julio came to sit here uh, with two former prosecutors. Uh, and we've had the whole story, of, uh, story yeah. on Pursuit of Justice. Thank and you. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. You got it. Till next time, we'll be back. Mm -hmm.